Okay. Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're delighted to be joined by an actor of various film and television credits, Stephen Culp. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Now, I was recently um, listening to an interview with the great Tobin Bell, and he said that he had a lot of different jobs um, while he was trying to make it as an actor. Too many to count, in fact. But uh-huh. he didn't care if they were menial jobs. He respected that he had a job nonetheless because it was helping him stay in the game. Right. So, and I kind of love that sort of mindset that no matter whatever job you're doing on the side, as creatives, be it acting, um, writing, or photography, we're going to need that sort of side hustle to keep us fueled, to keep us going in whatever profession we're trying to make it in. So I'm curious for you, when you were coming up as an actor, what what jobs did you have to keep that fuel going? Well, you know, I'm a little different. Uh, I, I did have other jobs, of course, when I first I first arrived in New York in uh, the fall of 1981. Um, and I just came come there from uh, getting an MFA uh, three years in uh, at, at Brandeis University. And in between Brandeis and New York, I was at the Champlain Shakespeare Festival for a summer uh, playing various roles. And then I then I moved to New York. Um, but overall, I've been a little different because the way my mind is, I find I've always tried to focus on just what I'm doing yeah, um, and not have a whole lot of other jobs and stuff going on. Um, I, it was important for me to be able to sort of focus on my auditions and, you know, cause you're always, you're always trying to get the next job, the yeah. next acting gig. And um, so over the years, I found for me, the way it works better is if I really try to keep a low overhead, this is especially when I was starting out in New York, I would just try to make it so that I, I would, wouldn't be paying out a lot of money per month to live so that I could focus on what I was doing because I, otherwise I get, I get a little scattered and yeah. unfocused, just the way my particular mind works. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons that, <laughs> that I wanted to get into something like this was because um, I just knew I wasn't going to be happy doing a nine to five job somewhere. You know, yeah. I knew I was, it was going to drive me kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but I did have some good jobs you know, before that. Uh, my favorite one of the best jobs I had when I was in graduate school, uh, when I got out of college and I was in graduate school, the first couple of years, I would go back home to my parents' house in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And my good friend there got me a job with a delivery service driving a delivery truck. And um, they were contracted out to all these different uh, like they had an electrical supplier that they were always delivering things for them. They delivered supplies for like Navy ships. There were a whole bunch of Navy bases uh, in Virginia Beach and Norfolk. And we had all these, 
And basically you made your own schedule. This is what was, was fun about it. He would pay you from, you know, eight to four, nine to four. Yeah. He'd pay you a certain amount of money a week. And it was up to you to get that job done with the, And if you went outside those hours, yeah. that was on you. And then you got to drive the truck home. <laughs> I didn't have a car at the time. So it was great. It's like and, your and own boss. What was great about that was because it was, it was entertaining. It was, it was a constant challenge. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was going nine to five to work every day. Yeah. It was, it was always like, okay, how am I going to deal with this thing today? And it was, and I drove all over the area and got to really learn the area better than I'd ever learned before. Cause I was everywhere. And that was a fun job. I didn't make a lot of money, but I, um, feel like I learned a lot from it. I, I became a much better driver. Um, and it was fun. When I first got to New York, I was lucky enough right before I moved down to run into a friend who had just spent the summer there working for a theater ticket agency. And they were the people who at that time, I'm sure it's much different now with internet and everything, online sales, but they would have, uh, they had a central office near Times Square, and then they would have their representatives who would be at the theater desk at various hotels. So my first two days after I moved to New York, uh, I called up the first day to this number that he gave me. Uh, The next day I went to to the Hilton Hotel to meet who would become my supervisor. And by day three, I had a job and that was fantastic. And I would work at the theater desk um, selling tickets to, you know, theater, to hotel patrons and whoever else would come up wanting theater tickets. And it was, it was not an easy job because you, you'd call into the central office, right? And there was no computers or anything. So they had spindles full of tickets. And at the central office, they'd be spinning the spindles around and it'd be like, has anybody hey, got those tickets for Amadeus? Ah, they're gone. You know, they were here a second ago. And sorry, sir, I can't, uh, we don't have any more tickets for that. And then they had me working in the central office after that, which was crazy, insane pressure. Uh, It was just a constant run, especially on, you know, weekends and matinee days. And that was when, you know, I was doing that for a couple months. And when I first moved there and I remember the day that I really started to get sick of it. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I I just don't. Mm. And I knew, and it was like a death knell to me because this, I knew as soon as I had that thought, I wasn't going to last long because I, I would just get really stultified <laughs> with the routine. But I had met an agent through graduate school. Uh, we, I met a whole bunch of agents because we did these auditions for agents and casting directors at the end of our graduating year in those days. And um, we we were part of uh, what was called the League of Professional Training Schools. So you would do this weekend in New York where each school would do their presentation for this big room full of agents and casting directors. It was like at Lincoln Center or something like that, one of their theaters. And um, I was at Brandeis, so we were sort of the poor relation. I remember we went up after Yale. And uh, uh, Yale did their presentation and then half the room left. <laughs> so so we were, you know, we weren't as prestigious. But anyway, I, I uh, met 
had meetings with a number of agents uh, right after that. And then I went off to Vermont to do the Champlain Shakespeare Festival. And by the time I got back to New York, they'd all signed everybody they wanted to. Nobody was interested in me. So I finally went to this one agent that I've been putting off going to because he did soap operas. He goes, he go, he was in a, in a bigger office, but he goes, I do soap operas here. That's what I do. I'd love to send you out. So I finally called him after a couple of weeks after I'd been, you know, passed on by everybody else. And he said, where have you been? I've been waiting to hear from you. And he immediately sent me out on a meeting that turned into an audition that turned into a callback that turned into a screen test for this soap called another world, which is no longer on the air. So I think I can talk about it. Um, I didn't get the I didn't get the part from the screen test, but I thought it went pretty well. Uh, but then I was back at square one. And so I remember I was. It was a rainy day, a rainy fall, rainy, cold fall day, and I was just lying in bed and I just I just called up the um, theater ticket office to go. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really I'm sick today. I can't I can't go in. Are you sure? Because we really need, we're short and we really need people. No, I'm, I'm really sorry. I can't, <laughs> I can't go in. And I hang up and I'm sitting there in, in bed going, what am I going to do? Because I know as soon as, as soon as I did that the first time, that was the end of this job. I just wouldn't be able to do it much longer. I'd get, I'd go crazy. And I'm lying there and the phone rings and it's this agent, Paul. And he goes, uh, Steve, uh, another world wants to offer you a 13 week contract part based on the screen test right and i was like wow you know he says yeah you're 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 a um you're this uh nice young guy who turns out to be a psycho and kidnaps this woman's baby <laughs> and i told i said you'd be perfect for it so, uh, uh, <laughs> so i ended up you know i i lasted for another month or two at the theater ticket agency uh, until the time for me to work came. And then I quit that job. And that was pretty much the last outside job I had when I was in New York. Yeah, right. Everything yeah. else I would, you know, I generally would get a new job my average was about maybe two months, 10 weeks in between jobs. Uh, there were a couple of times when I got a little desperate and, and a couple of times when I, when I worked for a, the, for a temp agency and I would go in and, and work for a week at somebody's office or whatever. But that was my last full-time job in New York. And then when I moved to LA, the same thing happened. I had to get a job because I was reestablishing myself. So I, I taught English as a second language to Asian high school students um, who were like, I think their moms were all like tiger moms, you know, they were just, uh, um, and it was, anyway, um, I did that for a year and I was so glad to, to be done with that. Yeah. It was just, um, yeah. So that was, <laughs> so that's me. Maybe, I don't know. I like, I like to be focused on what, I'm doing. I like to put my energy into the. I need to put a lot of focus into the auditions and if I have a job, the job I'm doing and stuff. And I find it kind of distracting if I have to do a lot of other things. 
like if you have anything that's a long answer yeah yeah no that's i love that um if there's any sort of noise in the background you can't focus in on that actual passion that you want to do you know i can i'm sure i can yeah but i just don't i would just rather do it i'd rather not have to deal with it yeah you know i'd rather be free to do what i want to do and and um and that's kind of the way i've always liked it the best while you were doing excuse me while you were doing all the odd jobs back in New York, did you had any idea you would end up uh, acting? Oh, no, no. I, I I wouldn't have moved to New York unless I was going to become an actor. So you had um, the idea at the back of your head? Well, it was in the front of my head. Okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. why I, that's why I went there. Um, I'd never imagined myself living in New York. Um, it was not... I grew up in, you know, the suburbs of Virginia Beach. And, you know, when I was really younger, it was a lot of like countryside, open countryside, you know, that got built up as I grew up. You know, I'd be riding my bike to the beach. I mean, I liked I liked the open spaces and the big city freaked me out. Um, but then going to Brandeis um, was sort of a nice sort of buffer zone because that was right outside of Boston. And I got a feeling for what it was like to live you know that that was kind of like big city adjacent living and i and i got to like it i got used to it i also had the experience when i was uh i was an english major in college and my junior year i studied at the university of exeter in um in devon in england and we were once again we were sort of right just to walk into downtown into the big city so i i started to get a little more used to urban life and when I graduated from Brandeis, when I was nearing graduation, I thought, well, I, I guess I'm just going to stay in Boston and see what I can what I can work up for myself as far as being an actor. I didn't really have a a plan at that point per se. But then we did our um, we did these auditions with the league schools for the agents and casting directors, and my my movement teacher and sometime director at Brandeis. Uh, Cheryl Gates McFadden, who went on to become Dr. Crusher in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. She was she was one of the most tuned in New York people who was there at the time. And she goes, so, Steve, who did you how did it go? And I said, well, so and so was I got I got, uh, you know, nibbles from this and this and this and this. She said, you should go there tomorrow and start meeting with people. And I was like, really? She says, yes. So I. I got on a bus. I went down to New York. I stayed with a friend. I set up meetings with a lot of these agents and stuff. And it was all encouraging enough that I went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And in the meantime, I'd gotten this gig at the Champlain Shakespeare Festival, my first, you know, real professional acting gig for um, 10 weeks in uh, Burlington, Vermont. And that was an adventure. That was great. And then I went back to Boston, packed up my stuff, took a bus down to New York. And it was like, you know, I gave my, I gave my, I would give myself like, um, I had like a five-year plan, you know, I'll give myself five years at it and I'll check in with myself every three months or so just to see how it's, you know, just to see if I want to continue. And, you know, I, 
I got there. I got the theater ticket job. I was really, I never really did the cattle calls. I didn't like the idea of doing these big cattle calls where, you know, zillions of people would show up and sign up and you go in and do your little audition or whatever. I just didn't, I wanted, I wanted to keep away from them. There's something about, I don't know, but I did uh, the backstage, uh, which was the theater newspaper would have ads in it. And I would respond to the ads where you would mail your picture and resume in and then get an appointment. It wasn't like doing a cattle call. It was like, are you interested in me? You know, we're interested in you come and audition for us. And so I did a few auditions that way. And I, and I got a play, I got a off, 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 you know, equity, non-equity um, play, you know, because I wasn't actors equity at the time I wasn't in the union. Um, I got a little play and I was rehearsing that play when I got the audition for the soap, when I did the screen test for the soap and I got the soap job. So that made the agents, uh, where, you know, the, the one agent who, who got me the soap gig that made the other agents at his, uh, at that agency interested in me. So they came to see the play and, um, I was, I was pretty good in the play. And they came up afterwards and said, we want to sign you. So that was from like September to December. Yeah. Right. My yeah. first fall in New York. And and um I kind of and then by that winter I was doing, you know, I was doing a soap for 13 weeks and I never looked back. There, there's um quite a lot of um luck involved in all this as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So do you, do you often get frustrated um, grinding it out when there's when luck goes out the window? When it's a bit hard yeah. to get to the next next job. Yeah, it, it can get pretty it can get pretty frustrating, uh, and and it does feel like a grind a lot of the time. Um, and obviously, you know, there's three things that you really need as an actor, you know, you can't get, you can't do it without luck. I don't care what anybody says. You need a certain amount of luck. You need talent. Right. Um, because do you, do you know the fabulous furry freak brothers? You know, no. that, that no. it's a, it's a sort of a counterculture cartoon from the, uh, um, from the late sixties, early seventies. It was an underground comics and their, their slogan was, uh, Dope will get you through times of no money better than money will get you through times of no dope. And so I always say, you know, talent will get you through times of no luck better than luck will get you through times of no talent. So you need talent, you need luck. And most importantly, you need perseverance because perseverance will get you through all those times. Um, but let me let me tell you, you know, I'll tell you a story um, about this whole thing about grinding it out, though, because when I was in New York, you know, I was doing pretty well in New York. Um, I worked with. You know, I was never too incredibly long without employment. Uh, there was one point where I was doing another soap, uh, One Life to Live, and I I got fired from it. Um, there were actually three three guys who played this one character in, in in a year, and I lasted the longest. I lasted seven months, but they let me go, and and that was 
that was kind of a slump. That was one of those times when I thought, oh, should I leave the business? Um, but then that kind of cleared the decks for me to really start doing a lot of regional theater, which I had not done yet up to that point. And that kind of paved the way for the next part of my career. But generally, I would, you know, there might be a month or two wait in between jobs. I'd be out there auditioning for jobs and stuff, but but they would generally come. And I worked with some of the best playwrights then in New York. I did. I, I worked with Neil Simon, uh, Terrence McNally, A.R. Gurney Jr., Keith Redine. I mean, I was I was doing good projects. But my memory of it is that I was always there was always a layer of anger and of bitterness and of frustration right. and of feeling like, why is this guy doing better than me? Why did, you know, after every job, you have to go back to square one, you know, you have to, you have to audition, you, you know, it's like, you never did that last job. <laughs> yeah. You know, why can't, why can't I get on a roll? You know, why, why won't they cast me in, you know, TV and movies. Yeah. And there was always that, thing kind of grinding away at me mm. and um and then when i started to really have some success it even started grinding away more because it, i was getting a little exhausted you know it's like god you just it it takes so much just to get the next job how much longer can i last you know and so then I ended up uh, getting work out in Los Angeles and I and I uh, met the woman who became my wife and she was a costume designer. She was she moved out there. I moved out there with her. And I'd been paying I, I'd been paying visits there and getting work when I was there. So I finally moved out and I moved out and my career just stopped for like in the like 1990 until about 93. You know, there were there was a good three to five years where it was like everything just stopped. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was doing, um, I was teaching English as a second language, which was not fun. I was, and I was doing a lot of plays, uh, what they call equity waiver plays, um, which was you're in the union, but they don't pay you. That's basically what it means. It's a small theater. So you get $5 or yeah. something for a performance. And I thought, well, I left that behind, you know, when I was in New York, the last one, of the, you know, the last thing I did like that was that first play I did, you know, the first fall I was in New York. Well, now I was doing it through playwright and director friends and doing them all the time. And that kind of sustained me as I'm, I'm dealing with the, you know, the seven stages of grief for my career. And I, you know, I went through all of them. And, uh, and during that time, I did get some work and I, and I, I landed on some things that brought in some, a little bit of money, but it was like, it took a long time. And what happened when I got to a point of acceptance, finally, I said to myself, I said, you know, I recognized that I really had it good in New York and that I never acknowledged it. And that I never, I didn't appreciate it the way I could have appreciated it. And I just said to myself, if it ever comes around again, and I didn't think it was going to, if it ever comes around again, I'm going to make it a point to be appreciative, to have a good time, to say thank you every day 
and it came back around. And so I've tried to sustain that for the last, you know, 30 years. Yeah. You know, that, that, it, and, and I have my periods of frustration and I have things that, you know, but it's not like it was before. Now I feel like I got a much better handle on just appreciating and having a good time and, and your work gets better. Yeah, right. You know, I find when you if if you're focusing on success, me anyway, if I'm focusing on success, if I'm focusing on money, if I'm focusing on oh, I gotta, you know, make you know the the choice that'll be the the smart choice. It doesn't go as well. It yeah. goes well for me when I'm just doing when I'm focused on the work, when I'm focused on the joy of this craft and the learning stuff all the time, which I still am after all these years, when I focus on that, the other stuff seems to come. So that's the way I try to, I try to be. Let me ask you this, the gap in between that you were not working or you were working some small jobs, <clears throat> excuse me. Did you ever blame yourself for not, actually working hard or did you ever blame yourself you self-criticize yourself and what kept you going through that time was it belief in yourself or was it faith what was it that kept you going and did you ever blame yourself in that time yeah yeah you know there there's a lot of there's a lot of blame there's a lot of feeling like oh if i if only i was like this person or this yeah you know if I only had this type of personality, if I only looked a different way, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you blame yourself for. Um, if I were just, you know, if, if I had a different personality, you know, um, I think, you know, in many ways, this job brings out the best in me. I feel that's one of the reasons I love doing this job. I just feel like I'm my better self when I'm, when I'm doing this job, but, and, and I'm, I'm very, when I have a context to work and I'm very free and easy, but you know, I'm not the greatest schmoozer in the world. I can be really shy. I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's going to walk into the audition room and, you know, oh, blow man. you away with my, my charisma, <laughs> Uh, at least I don't feel that way. So, so yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of blame. Oh, maybe I should have done this differently. Maybe I should have taken that job. I didn't think about it right. I didn't plan it right. But eventually that stuff starts to settle down. Uh, it took a long time, but I finally realized there was a point that I realized I mean I was always wondering if I should be doing something else is there something else I should be doing you know I because I I've, I've always written um although I would not call myself a writer um but I've always written it and and I my teachers were always saying you should be a writer and I, I was always going should I should I be writing what should I be doing and actually during this gap I did take uh um I did do some uh, uh, short story 
classes, writing classes at uh, UCLA Extension. And I, I belonged to a group for a year, for two years, that we would, uh, there were seven or eight of us. So every seven or eight weeks, you'd have to come up with a story to read to. So I was writing kind of consistently then. But, you know, writers write. That's one thing. When, I, when I'm at loose ends, I start reading plays to the wall. You know, sitting down to actually write something. I don't have the ideas percolating the way writers do. I mean, I have writer friends and their minds just work a certain way. Mine, I realize, because one of my early ambitions was to be a writer before even being an actor. But then when I was in college, I realized I was much better equipped to go into a room with other people and work something and and then get a piece of writing and interpret it and channel it through me. I was much better suited to that. But anyway... I think it was, you know, I think I'd been at it maybe 15 years or so or 20 years. I it, At some point in L.A., I realized that this is like a perfect job for somebody like me. Uh, I love the way you have to use yourself. I love the way your mind works. I love just the type of challenges it presents. I'm I'm really it's it's a good job for me. Yeah. It it utilizes my, you know, my my particular kind of creativity, although I'm still writing and I'm actually writing. Uh, I've been working uh, in fits and starts on sort of a memoir slash book about acting that okay. I've been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I feel like I've got a lot of experience. This came about from when I was was asked to teach a few years back. Yeah. And I was like, what what would I teach? I, I don't know. I've, I've only been doing it. And then I realized that, oh, I have a lot to teach because I've been doing it. <laughs> so, so there's, there's, uh, um, so I've been working on that. Getting back to your question about, was it what pulled me through? Um, I did see a career counselor around that time right. uh, to see if there was something else. Um, but I was, you know, but even that, I, it was like they were pointing me towards something creative. I think that was around the time that I ended up taking the short story classes. Um, it could be something as banal as I couldn't think of what else it was I wanted to do. Um, but also, I think there was something, you know, when I was engaged on a project, whether it was a theater a play for free or, you know, whatever, you get fully engaged. And there's something about going out, you know, doing theater in front of a live audience that I just like that experience. And I knew I wanted to keep it going. And so enough things happened during that time to sort of keep me on track. Like I did the one, one job that I did get that came along at an opportune time was a movie called, um, Jason Goes to Hell, oh, yeah. uh, which was yeah. Friday the 13th, part nine. Yeah. And um, I remember at the time because the casting director was a guy I knew from New York, really, really good guy, uh, both of them. And uh, one of them came to see one of the plays I was in. And he goes, Steve, we're doing uh, this Friday the 13th movie. We'd love to bring you in for it. I'm like, sure. Great. I'll come in. And uh, they gave me the script and I'm reading the script and I'm just like, oh, you got to be freaking kidding me. You know, just like these 
stage directions in all caps of, you know, pushes his face into the deep fryer, you know, and I was reading it to my wife, you know, and just going, I can't believe, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't have read the script and now I'm auditioning for it. <laughs> and um, I, and I, I was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> but I, I was doing this, this sort of tabloid TV uh, show host who then becomes Jason in the course of the movie. And so my audition was, you know, part of it was doing this whole big spiel, you know, of your your news show. And uh, I remember I was the morning I was preparing the audition. I, I had the TV on with some of the tabloid shows just to get some inspiration. And it all just seemed so ludicrous to me. And I had this idea of, you know, why not push the, the ludicrous envelope here? Because I think it's funny. Yeah. Why not just skirt the edge of of just not taking this seriously at all being so serious yeah but it's funny <laughs> and i thought they're probably not going to go for it but who cares if i was if i was doing the role that's the way i would do it yeah and so i worked up the audition and there was this there was this long there's this sort of a, a prequel before i introduce myself where i'm you know the opening of the show and we're talking about the case and then i go i'm robert campbell and I just decided to insert, for whatever reason, I went, hi, I'm Robert Campbell. So I get to the audition and I wait for an hour. And then, you know, finally they let me in there. And the director, Adam Marcus, is in there. And uh, Dean Laurie, the writer, and Sean Cunningham, the producer. And I meet them and I sit down and I start doing this, doing it like this. And I'm not looking at him, but I can hear like little chuckles. And little things. And finally, when I got to hi, Sean literally was laughing so hard, he got out of his chair and started pounding the floor. They were cracking up. And then I read another scene, and they, which was also just pushing the ridiculous envelope just far. And they loved it. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm among friends here. They're looking at this the same way I am. So it turned out to be this really, really great experience. Uh, I made a little bit of money, not much, but enough to like get me out of the English as a second language classes. And what was great about it was that it was, I remember I, the first morning I was working, sitting there on the set and we're filming a scene where I'm already starting to become Jason. So I got a little blood on me and I've got some, you know, special effects makeup and stuff sitting in, in my chair, just going, I love this. Yeah. This is where I'm meant to be. I just, you know, as ludicrous as the project seemed to me, I'm here and I'm having fun and I'm doing what I want to do. And there was something about, because the nature of the, of the project, it was Jason goes to hell. Yeah. So it's not that I didn't take it seriously, but I took it just seriously enough. Before, I think I'd been taking things too seriously a lot of the time. And here, I was like taking it, it was like playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians as a little kid again. It's what got you into the business in the first place yeah 
you know, that sense of play. Yeah, yeah. And it was so it was sort of rediscovering that sense of play that really that was really valuable to me about doing that project because it was a hoot. Hmm. It was so much fun and it was very creative. And I just I loved Adam. I loved Sean. I had a great time. I loved all the special effects guys and my, you know, my fellow actors. I, I just had a fantastic time. So that was a good job. And then the next summer, I'd, I'd actually been asked to go back to my um, my alma mater, the College of William and Mary in Virginia, to be the equity guest artist at the Virginia Shakespeare Festival. And they had asked me to do the title role in the Scottish play, which I'm not allowed to say the name because, you know, we're superstitious theater people. <laughs> and I was going to do the lead. And then I got the job on Jason Goes to Hell. And I had to say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this job because, you know, they're paying me <laughs> and and Virginia Shakespeare Fest. You know, I I, I got to do this job. I'm doing this yeah. movie. So they said uh, I was very apologetic, but I think it was good because I don't think I'm quite built for the Scottish King. But then the next summer, they called me up again and they asked me to do Brutus and Julius Caesar. And then I was going to do The King and All's Well That Ends Well with directed by uh, a good friend of mine who was two years ahead of me when we married, who was the kind of eccentric genius who got me really interested in acting in the first place. He directed me at a bunch of stuff and he was directing the other place. So I went back kind of reluctantly because I didn't have anything else going on at the time. It was, you know, I'd done Jason, but it didn't really do anything for my career. You know, I made a little bit and I was back slogging away. I was totally unemployed. I had nothing else going on. I went back to Virginia. I go, oh, here's the failed actor going back to his old college to do the, you know, the Shakespeare Festival. And once again, it was it was a gift from the gods. It was, it was all about why I got into it in the first place. I was working on these texts that are so wide and deep that you could work all your life and never get it all, right? But there's but there's these big vessels. So there's plenty of room to run around in them, you know? And um I'm I'm with and my old friend and I are like staying up you know, till all hours, you know, smoking illicit substances and reading drama and poetry together and, you know, talking about art and, and I'm doing these great roles and it had nothing to do with the business and everything to do with why I got in in the first place. And so when I came back to LA uh, from that, I said, okay, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to either make a go of this or not. And I, you know, because I want to do it and let's do it. Yeah. And so I, I, I'd found a manager. I'd been reluctant to sign with a manager cause I'd never had one in New York, but I found uh, a manager and I, at the same time, some of the theater stuff that I've been doing in LA started to pay off. Um, and I got asked to go to the actors. The uh, so I'm, I'm telling you long stories here. I got asked to go to the, I did, I did a stage reading with the director, Lisa Peterson, very good theater director. Uh, like almost as soon as I got back from Virginia Shakespeare Festival, I was doing a lot of staged readings in those days, a lot of staged readings, a lot of plays for free. That was the way I sort of kept my creative self alive. 
and and Lisa, I was really impressed with her. And and I was like, you know, I usually didn't do this, but I said, hey, you know, I really enjoy working with you. Um, let me know what you're doing. I'd love, I'm I'm really interested. So I get a call um to actually put myself on tape. This was in the days where you never put yourself on tape for things. Uh, but to put myself on tape for a play she was directing at the Actors Theater of Louisville for the Humana Festival, which is like one of the big new play festivals in America. Um, a lot of great plays, uh, Crimes of the Heart, just off the top of my head, I can name, came out of there. A lot, a lot of great Broadway plays and writers came out of that. So I, my manager set it up at her apartment. She got somebody to videotape my audition for this play. I did it, sent it in, got the role. And it was, and my manager was like, you know, it's pilot season in, in Los Angeles. That's when they're doing all the TV pilots and stuff. And you audition for the pilots and, and it's like, you know, you're just one of many poker chips that are being thrown on the table. Right. It's, I, I hate pilot season. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh, uh just, pilot season still a thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I always used to. Like, I always used to want to like wear a leather jacket and a, and a scarf, you know, and an aviator helmet. <laughs> Just go. I'm here for pilot season. <laughs> um, but uh, um, but she's like, no, I want to do this. And then when I got there, I realized it was sort of this very longish three scene one act. And when I got there, I realized that we were on a double double bill with Tony Kushner's new play, Perestroika, or not Perestroika, uh, uh, Slavs. Tony Kushner had just, you know, uh, Angels in America uh, was running on Broadway and they had just opened part two, Perestroika, or they were opening it right around that time. And we were on a double bill. And for a minute, I was thinking, oh, great. You know, uh, nobody's going to notice us. They're all going to be looking at this Tony new Tony Kushner play. And then I was like, get over yourself. You know, there are worse things in life than being on a double bill with the new Tony Kushner play. So, so I showed up for my first rehearsal and um, an hour late because the, the person who picked me up at the airport had given me the wrong time. So I show up an hour late and we do our first reading of the play. And there are these people sitting there who I don't know watching the reading. And when we're done, uh, Zan, the casting director, Zan Stewart, comes over with this other gentleman. He goes, Steve, this is Tony Kushner. Uh, there's a part in Slavs. And I went, I'll do it. Yeah. What's yeah. the role? Yeah. And I thought it was, I thought it was going to be carrying a spear or something. You know, I, I thought I was just going to be an extra. I didn't care. What's the role? It turned out to be this great, big character role that no one would ever cast me in, right? But Lisa Peterson was directing both plays. She wasn't happy with the actor that Louisville had cast. She suggested me. So I played this character named Rodent, and I had a big silver blonde wig and the Russian accent and big false front teeth. And it was great for the, the three actors who did. Uh, the other play we were doing was called Trip Cinch by Phyllis Nagy. And um, it was very kind of, it was an answer to David Mamet's Oleana. And it was very sort of Manter, Beckett, Pinter style, modern day. And we got to go out 
and do the, and, you know, looking like ourselves and do this play. And then there's an intermission. And then the three of us get to come back in Shakespeare, you know, cause that's what Tony doing Tony Kushner is like completely unrecognizable in other characters. And it was just, I called up my agent and I was going, I thought you might like to talk to a happy actor. Cause I'm just like a pig in shit here. I'm just having such a great time, you know, making no money, you know, or making very small theater money, but it was one of the most important things that I've ever done. And I, and it was, it was just such a fantastic time. And I, and being with all these other artists, you know, cause it's a big play festival, you know, it's all these playwrights and actors and directors and just, um, you know, hanging out with everybody in the bar and talking about, you know, drama and art and stuff, you know, after, after the plays and just getting to know all these people. And then I remember as I was flying back um, to Los Angeles, you know, changing planes and I think Philadelphia or something. And I, and I remember being in the airport feeling like, is it coming back? I think it's coming back. Is it coming around again? It feels like it is. And um, it wasn't long after that that I auditioned for Angels in America uh, in Los Angeles that was being done. It was one of the first big productions done outside of New York of it up at uh, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And um, it, was a, it was a big deal. And I auditioned for it. And um, I think maybe partly because I'd done Slavs in Louisville, uh, I got it. At least that worked in my favor. Yeah. I mean, I had to audition and I, you know, they were um, hard auditions. Uh, and I had to wait several weeks to get an answer. But I ended up, then I ended up going up to San Francisco for nine months with one of the greatest casts I've ever worked with, one of the greatest directors I've ever worked with doing two of the greatest plays ever written. We did both parts. And, you know, I was like, man, I would not have believed a couple of years ago that I would be doing this. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm so curious to um, ask you this. Have you gotten to a point in your career now where you have to keep auditioning like you did, you know, back in the day or... Or do casting directors, some casting directors know you and rely on you for certain roles? Oh, Stephen would be great for this job. Well, here's a, here's one of the things that's grinding at me now. And I'm I'm fighting, I'm I'm fighting it grinding at me. I don't want it to grind at me. Um, but the landscape of all that has changed. Um you know, there was a period, you know, uh, where I was getting, I'd be getting offers, yeah. you know, especially, you know, after, you know, there were some years around the time of, you know, 13 days, especially after Desperate Housewives, you know, that gave me a lot of mileage. Um, I would continue to get offers for years and not have to come in and audition. Um, but inevitably that's going to change you know then you then you're not getting as many offers as you used to so that's all okay 
Um, I don't mind going in and reading for people. You know, it's how you meet people. The way the landscape has changed now is that it it's all self-tapes. Yeah. And I find that that is... Um, it's an isolating and debilitating experience because you don't meet anybody. Yeah. You're sending, and you're sending these tapes out and you don't even know if they're watching them. Yeah. Under what circumstances they're being watched. If they're watching the first 10 seconds of them, you got no idea. Yeah. I know a lot of casting directors say, no, we watch, we watch them all. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. Um, I, I know some do, but they they ask for so many now. And I just feel like you're on some kind of dating site where they're just going like this. And it and it happened even before the pandemic, really, because it was less and less meeting uh producers and writers and directors. Instead, you'd be going into casting people and getting put on tape and they would send the tape. And so I would be in the position like I would do it for the casting director. And as soon as before I got home, I would be pinned, you know, for the job like, OK, you're in the running for the job. But that only meant that they'd sent it on to the producers. Yeah. And. After that, who knows what they're doing? Um, what I don't think, I think, you know, 90% of the great jobs I've ever gotten are because I've walked into the room and the people have been there right. because there's so many things that happen that are intangible. Yeah. When you're actually interacting with people and in a room with other people that it's more than just this, you know, reading a scene. Uh, and I've, and I'm not even like this great schmoozer or anything, but I've, but when you have a connection with the material and there's a connection, you know, in the room, it's just, it's great. And, and, and a lot of the time, you know, I might not get the role that I read for, but then, you know, a month or so down the line, I'll get a call with an offer for another role yeah. because I was in the room with the people. And yeah. they get to see you work in front of them. And I think a different kind of attention is paid. Yeah. You know, when you're actually in the room, then when you're just kind of, you know, distracted and okay, zip, zip, zip onto the next one. And I also think there's kind of a, there might be more surprises that happen in a room that when people are watching things yeah. on, on these taped auditions, that they're just looking for what they already think they're looking for. You know, not that one, not that one. Okay, that one. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's my theory anyway. So I I found it it it's made a a tremendous difference uh to not be able to be meeting the people anymore. So that's been kind of a frustrating thing. And I'm I'm currently working on how can I adjust my attitude? <laughs> how can I, how can I get some joy out of this? Uh, because I'm still really engaged when I do the audition. Uh, when I put myself on tape, 
you know, and I, I give it my all, but it gets really frustrating. You keep sending it. It's like you send them out into the void, you know, it's just silence. Yeah. I think it's, it's not a good situation. Um, That's my, opinion. some people really like them. Bring reverting back to the question I asked earlier, that phase of not uh, working now, since of the, uh, because of the strike, there are a lot of actors who are not working. And, you know, there's no sort of work being done this time. And people... We're doing a lot of marching, though. Yes. 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 But people are still getting their entertainment, be it, you know, Netflix or social media, whatever it is. They're still getting their entertainment. But these actors are not working. So it's that time of isolation for them. So what word of advice do you have for those people who are still not working? Because... There are actors who are not that who are not A-list celebrities, you know. There are levels to that. So, what word of wisdom yeah. have for them? <clears throat> well, no, I, I I'm certainly not an A-list celebrity myself. Um, I'm in I'm in a fortunate position because I'm older, and I've had a lot of work done, and you know, we saved our money. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not living hand to mouth, right? Like so many actors are like, I would have been, yeah. you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, I have found, you know, that if they are feeling isolated, um, come to the picket line, <laughs> I will say that that's one positive that's come out of here because, you know, with the self-taping and everything, I mean, you never see anybody anymore mm. unless you're actually working. You know, you see the people that you're reading with, you know, who are helping you with your audition. But, you know, I, there used to be a whole circuit of guys I'd run into, you know, as we auditioned. And, you know, it's just after a while, you know, when you're younger, you kind of feel that competition and you still feel the competition. But, with us guys who've been around for a while, there's a lot of camaraderie, you know, we really appreciate each other. We, you know, it's like, there's, there's just, you know, there are bonds. A lot of us have worked together, yeah. you know, and, and so you don't see people the way you used to. So, and, and I've made, you know, I've seen people on, on the picket line that I haven't seen in a long time. We've reconnected. Um, do you know the actor Garrett Dillahunt? Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, Garrett and I did Angels in America together. Yeah. And uh and we all we were all very tight on that show and and kept in touch, you know, for years. But I hadn't seen Garrett in several years and I ran into him on the picket line and you know, we and went out to lunch, you know, the other week and been, it it's just been and then I've made new friends, you know, and and connected with new people and I've heard other people's viewpoints and stories and stuff and I know that that's not comforting as far as how am I going to make ends meet during this time, but I've found I've actually felt less isolated in this strike than I have like a couple, you know, the months before that, just doing self tapes and, and, and working. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've felt more of a part of a community and I think, you know, you know, knock wood, you know, I'm hoping that we can all come to an agreement soon because a lot of people are hurting. 
in this strike and not just, you know, actors and writers, but a lot of people who are, who make their living from our business yeah. are, you know, are not making money now and it's, and it's hard for them. So I hope we can come to an agreement soon. Um, but that's a whole other kettle yes. of fish. Yeah. yeah. Well, at, at the time we're recording this, I believe um, the WGA uh, going back to the table with the AMTP. Well, no, they've, <laughs> they've, yeah, they, it's, yeah. it's been good this week because they've actually been able to um, be in the same room with each other without um, one side. Uh, I won't say which, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, putting out, you know, uh, leaks and, and, you know, sort of, you know, leaking agreements and just, uh, I've, I've heard stories. I've, I've met a bunch of people from the negotiating committee and, uh, and some of them were people I knew before, you know, I've talked to them online and they can't really go into details, but I've, some of the stories that I've heard about the machinations that have gone on are like, are you kidding me? Are you really <laughs> kidding me? Um, but but it's great. They're they're in the same room. I, I do think it's funny because a lot of the news media, I mean, they should know better. It's like, well, maybe there's going to be a deal today. You know, we're waiting. Oh, no, it's going to be put off till tomorrow. Folks, there, there's a whole new metric that has to be arrived at for residuals. It's not the same release you know you're not dealing with you know tv ratings and advertising so much anymore it's streaming and subscriptions one side doesn't want to be transparent for and for probably good reasons you know because if if they're transparent about it you know a they might have to pay us more but b you know these overextended mergers that they've been making and founding on mountains of debt might be a little more exposed to the shareholders. So they got to be a little a little careful about it. So so we got to arrive at a whole new metric for this stuff. It's not going to be done in an afternoon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so and I, I find it just funny that even the, the news media that should know better, they're just like, oh, is it going to happen today? Uh, no, no, not not in two days, you know, maybe maybe a week. Yeah. Um uh, but uh uh I it it is a good sign that they're actually trying to to hash it out now because it needs to be hashed out. Uh, although the other, the other sort of trope that I've been hearing that's being put out um, by the companies is that, um, well, you're not entitled to, you know, residual, you're not, you're not entitled to share in the success because you didn't, you know, you didn't put up the risk, you know, you're not, you know, you, you didn't share in the risk. Um, and I know that we've pushed back on that a little bit, but I think that that's an argument that we shouldn't even address because it's a, it's a specious argument that sidesteps the real issue, which is that actors, writers, directors, you know, we have been paid for the continued use of our work for decades. This is not something new. This is something that's, this is a part of the cost of doing business. And it has been for decades, and you can't pretend that it doesn't exist anymore. Just mm -hmm. by and every time, you know, historically, every time that there's been any kind of new technology, uh, recession, um, pandemic, 
it's always an opportunity for the companies to cut jobs and claw back wages. It happens every time. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. And, you know, we we had to let it go for a little while because, you know, nobody wants to strike right after a pandemic. But um, we, like so many other lines of work in our, I'm not going to say just our country, but in our country, uh, but I think it's widespread. Um, we're finally at the point where we're going, wait a minute, you can't keep clawing things back from us. You know, we got to make, we have to make a, a living. Yeah. How would you feel if your image was used in perpetuity on projects that you have no association with? Well, A, I would want some kind of say in what kind of projects my image was being used in for one thing. I'd like to be able to agree to that or disagree to that because it's my, it's, it's my image, you know? Um, And then if it's something I agree to, yeah, I think I should, I should be paid for it. Yeah. You know, we're not asking, you know, we're not unreasonable. Actors are very, I don't think, I, I'm not going to say we're all the same. I mean, but I think kind of generally speaking, yeah, we want to make a living and we like striking, you know, oh, great, I'm on this hit series and now I can make some money and pay for my child's education and live in a nice house and I don't have to worry so much from month to month. We're we're into money that way, you know, and the success and the opportunity to work with really great people that success brings with it. But that's never in the forefront of our minds. We're doing this because we just have a need to do it and a calling for it and a love for it. And we think it's important. I think it's important. Um, I think anytime, I think there's, when I see something that makes a connection with me, either on screen or in a theater, I just feel like your consciousness is raised a little bit. You know, I think that there's something that, you know, empathy is, is um, a really neglected emotion. I guess it's an emotion. It's, it's, it's a neglected state. We, we give it short shrift. We need more empathy in this world. And I think, that what we do, as silly as some of it can be, contributes to seeing things from other points of view, for empathy, for just experiencing what it is to be a human. That's what's great about doing Shakespeare. He's such a he's such a human. You know, yeah. he he gets all sides of everything in there and just the messiness of being a human being. He, you know, he gets it. And I think. That's what we like to put out there. And, and that's what attracts us, I think. And I think that that's, that's something that those other people, they don't understand that. They don't get what that is. If you're not putting money and material gain, if that's not at the top of your list, what is, what is that? What does that mean? I don't think they understand it. Maybe I'm generalizing. 
but but it's why I think that you know so often you especially actors you hear actors being belittled as been oh they're just that oh those emotional oh those childish actors blah 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 it's because they don't understand it and I think it intimidates them on some level I think it's like what do those people have access to that with we with all of our power and riches we don't have access to that mm. you know let's belittle them instead yeah. let's say oh we don't call it show show art it's show business i mean how many times has that been said to me in my life and who's been saying it and what did they do and how much of an artist were they <laughs> yeah. well, anyway you, you you've taken us on a journey today this has been one of my favorite um episodes that we've recorded because we've only just had to ask you a couple of questions, questions and you've yeah. taken us well, on a full journey i've loved it I'm I'm sorry, you know, I, I I tend to start running off at the mouth. You know, this is this is why it's so hard for me to like write, you know, because yeah, I gotta yeah. just it all down somehow. Um, oh, we'll start to wrap up in a second. I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Um the first I'll try one, to be brief. The, the the first one is you've done a couple of um big franchises. Have you ever been invited to a convention? Oh, um I just got uh back from um uh, one uh that was in las vegas really and um that's there every year uh, given by creation entertainment yeah um and uh yeah i don't get asked i don't get asked that often i don't i i have a, a convention agent but she doesn't pursue me a lot and i don't pursue her a lot uh i think if i pursued it more i would probably go to more yeah i definitely think jason goes to hell is a uh, should yeah. I even be mentioning that? Uh, is that's that's a big horror thing. Um, but the the space show yes. that I did um, is interesting because it's it's gotten it was kind of like the 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 bastard stepchild of the of the space shows at the time it came out. You know, after after it aired, they didn't air a few for a couple. They didn't air any for a few years. It's gotten a much more sizable following now than it had then. Oh yeah. And I think that's because of, of streaming and yeah. syndication or whatever. Um, but yeah, I love I love to do those conventions. I love to meet the fans and sign autographs and stuff. It's great. Um, a lot of um, people have praised Scott Bakula um, as being one of the most down to earth people you'll ever meet. You'll actually, you know, he knows everyone's names. He helps the crew pack up at the end of the day. What what was your experience working with him? Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. You know, it and and he's he's got an eye on everything. You know, he he produces as well. He's produced shows as well. But, you know, it it's just, you know, the lighting, the the it just everything. He knows everything that's going on. If something needs to be moved and and he can move it, he just moves it. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's not, um, and he's just, yeah, he, he's actually, uh, uh, friends of friends of mine. And, and so I do run into him, um, socially and he's always just such a, yeah, totally, totally down to earth guy, really good actor. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've, I loved him in the, it was so different. Did you see the Liberace movie that, oh, with, yes. um, yeah. listen, yeah. He's so good in that. Yeah. I think he got nominated for an Emmy. I'm not sure. Or, a, such a or a role as well. So, I'm sorry. 
It was such a small role he had in that movie as well. And he was just so vivid though. And so sort of, but he's, he's one of those guys I feel like that can do so many things. I mean, I've worked with the, and they're all like really down to earth people. I've worked with a couple of them, uh, like Gary Cole, I've worked with uh, on a few occasions, who's just one, he, who's a chameleon mm. and who's fantastic every time. Uh, Alfred Molina, I worked with him only once. But I had such a fantastic time with him. And he's one of the best actors on the planet. You know, that guy can do anything and, and has done everything. And it's just completely unpretentious, um, down to earth. Yeah, yeah. Scott Scott is, is just a super guy. I, I just love hearing that. <laughs> just because I know Hollywood, as we think of it, you it's cutthroat, but not none of that was got. I've I've had some pretty good fortune. Yeah. You know, as far as as far as being able to I've worked with a lot of really good people mm. uh, who are not jerks. Yeah. And maybe I don't know, maybe I have some sort of self-protective gene in me where I kind of like that attracts me to these particular you know, things, but I, I generally, you know, have a really good time, um, with the people that I, that I'm working with. I've worked with some really good ones. Um, I just, I just did a, well, last year I did a, a I had recurring roles on a couple series and I got to work with a Bruce Greenwood again, who I, who was JFK, uh, to my Bobby and the movie 13 days. And he's just a fantastic actor and a really great guy. And then Jane Leaves uh, was in the same show and she's had a lot of success. And it's, and I thought, you know, I'm embarrassed to even say it. She was so great. And, and the last day we were doing the last episode and she goes, it was an honor to work with you. And I was, yeah. I was cried. <laughs> um she was great. And then, and then I did a, a show with um, uh, Nisi Nash, uh, who is also, and, and I, I, I can't name the whole cast for that show. Cause then I'm going to start talking about the project, but you know, to, to a man, to a person, yeah. that show was just a fantastic cast and, and crew. And, you know, usually the crews you work with are really, are really just great too. Did yeah. Do you think you'll um, be acting until the day you die, or do you think you'll retire? Um, I'm not sure what retirement's going to be. Yeah, uh, we've actually um, we're actually in the midst of uh, moving everything up to Prince Edward Island in Canada. Uh, we bought a house up there on four acres, and my wife uh, is starting a flower farm there. She used to be a costume designer yeah. and won awards for that. But she uh, um, she decided she 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 started running this this one acre farm at our kids school and got like her her 10,000 hours. She's one of these people who decides she's going to learn how to do something and then she does it great. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's actually in Canada right now um, getting this flower farm started. And I hope to be up there uh fully by this coming summer and i'm not sure what retirement's going to look like for me i mean i'll continue to put myself on tape for things i'll continue going back and forth i want to get i i want to 
keep writing this thing that I'm writing right now, but I know I'm going to have to be doing something. Yeah. But I, but I, you know, I was up there in June and we were, we were putting in these, these beds, you know, shoveling compost and, you know, putting down, you know, wood chip paths and it is hard work. And I thought, you know, this is a, this is a funny way to be spending your retirement. This is not, I don't know how long physically I'd actually be able to do it. Um, and not everybody would think of this as the way that they want to spend their retirement, but getting these, being out there and getting these things ready for the flowers and stuff. As I was doing it, I couldn't imagine anything I would rather be doing at that moment than yeah. what I was doing. So I don't know. I don't know if uh, I'm not sure what retirement would look, but I, I would always love to have an opportunity to act. Yeah. Um, and maybe, and maybe teach some as well. Well, it's who you are. It's very much. You. I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. We've, we've loved this. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank as, you so much. As I said, you've taken us on a journey and we really appreciate it. Well, thanks. Thanks for letting me just gap. <laughs> <laughs>